I've got a really direct question for you, and it's a bit in your face, but it's such an important question if you're trying to heal from the effects of trauma in your childhood. Of all the problems you're still experiencing in your life today, how much of it is from the abuse and neglect that happened, and how much of it is from trauma-driven behaviors that maybe started as a symptom but turned into a habit? Now, I know what this is like. I was drowning in life problems before I found a way to start healing from trauma. And I had to figure it all out myself, and it took a long time. But when I look back, I can really clearly see that my complex PTSD made it hard to know the best path forward or to stick to that path. I couldn't control that until I could. But this is where all your healing power lies. Is it's in moving your focus to not on what happened to you so much as what you are doing now, good and bad. And what I want to invite you to look at now is the way your trauma wounds have gotten you in the habit of self-sabotage. And this is good to know because once you can spot it, you can change it, okay? So here are 10 common ways that people with CPTSD sabotage themselves. All right, number one, is because with CPTSD, it's easy to get emotionally dysregulated, we get these outbursts of anger, right? Do you do that? Where you're going along, you're having a perfectly good interaction, you like people, they're your friend, or maybe you're on a date, and then something kind of sets you off, and you can feel it like rising up in you. This is a CPTSD thing. It's emotional dysregulation. There's a neurological injury that means when something kind of hits you that's like, ah, it would, it would feel that way if you didn't have trauma. Because you have trauma, this stress reaction happens where your left front cortex starts going down. You can't reason very well and your emotions go up. What you would want when you feel offended or your feelings are hurt is some thinking, some feeling, right? With CPTSD, there's this reaction where the thinking goes down, the emotions go up, and you can have an overreaction. And when that overreaction is anger, you can self-sabotage. You can mess up work relationships, romantic relationships, friendships, family holidays. If, if you were traumatized as a kid, I can almost guarantee you know exactly what I'm talking about. So a way that we self-sabotage is that when that happens, we're justifying it. You know, we, it's very painful to admit that we did something wrong. Very painful. Because it doesn't feel like you made a choice about it. it. It feels very real in the moment that the thing that triggered you was this big and therefore your reaction was this big. But what happens with CPTSD is even something this big gets a reaction that big and people don't like it. It's a form of sabotage. So, when you don't have that consciousness of what's happening, what are you going to do? You can't necessarily fix it. But as you heal, and that's what you're learning here, that's what I teach in all my courses and on the channel, is like how step by step you, you can get that awareness together so that you can actually bring awareness when that, that trigger happens, that physiological reaction that starts pushing you into a, emotional dysregulation, you can bring it back to what we call emotional sobriety. Number two is... We give our emotional energy to people who are emotionally unavailable. In other words, they don't give any energy back to us. So that is a trigger that gets installed from a childhood where your needs aren't met. When your emotional needs weren't met, certainly if your physical needs weren't met, if you weren't loved enough, if there was no one to really like 
look you in the eye and hear how you felt about things and coach you through the little challenges that you were going through as a kid, what can happen is you develop this incredible tolerance as a coping mechanism to be able to just do life without anybody caring about you. You can see love where there is no love. That is a coping mechanism that saved your life when you were a kid. So it's very good that you have that. It's just not a good idea to have it now as you're trying to have grown-up relationships. You don't want to see love where there is no love. You want to be able to recognize somebody who's emotionally available versus somebody who's just like not into you, married, lying, on drugs. I mean, all that stuff, that's like, that's like, feels like PhD stuff when you're in the middle of CPTSD and having the kind of relationships that so many of us have. That's, that's what I had. But I learned, I learned workarounds to see the red flags, to give them time and space so that I could become aware of them. The big thing that prevents you from rushing in and getting all attached and giving all your emotional energy to people who are unavailable. And by the way, this is not just romantic relationships. There's friendships like this. There's bosses like this where you're just like going on the extra mile and you know, they don't care about you. They're not going to, nothing good is going to happen in that job. But you know, we get this blind spot to it, right? We don't know. So we're pouring out all this energy. And when we don't get anything back, when it doesn't lead to a promotion or a relationship or a fun friendship, and you're not invited to the party, you know, it just feels like a massive ripoff. And then, you know, it just feels like people did you wrong. And you can't see when you still have CPTSD active, you can't see that there was anything that you did to kind of, you know, walk into that situation. All your power is in seeing where you walked in. Like, yes, there are people who will take advantage or there's people who just don't care. It's not, they haven't necessarily even done anything wrong by not caring when we're just like, oh, I'm giving you everything I've got. So we got to stop walking into that. We have to recognize it and sort of have continence, really, you know, to be able to like contain, contain our emotions and decide when we're going to give them and how, in what measure. That's a huge, important skill that can save you so much grief. Okay, a third way we self-sabotage is in, this is kind of related to the second one, in the way we get together with or stay with people who are abusive or who have major life problems that make them unfit for a relationship like a big drug addiction, alcoholism. It's very, very common. This is the big way that trauma gets passed on to the next generation is through the relationships that result in children. Often they're not even committed relationships, right? But there's that inability to recognize a total like, you know, life destructive situation, go into it, try to build a life around it, and then have the floor fall out under you. That's what happens. That's what happens when someone is abusive, um, or they're too far gone in an addiction that they, they, they can never show up for you. They can never provide for you. They can never meet your emotional needs. And so often, um, you could end up living with them, your whole living situation is dependent on them and they're not, you know, that it's nothing you can count on. It's nothing you can count on. Have you ever been in that situation? Abruptly homeless, abruptly homeless with children, pregnant, but no longer with anybody. These are, you know, these are the types of things that we go through when we have that big attachment wound and a blind spot for what is a red flag and what is a green light, you know, just total confusion. And it does, it, it is very similar to that, the ability to like see love where there is no love, but it's more than that. It's an inability to predict how complicated and painful it will be to be with somebody who is abusive. There's this magical thinking of like, 
But I think if I change enough, if I'm good enough, they will change. I'll step up on my toes. They'll step up on their toes. But that is, you know, that, that doesn't work. I'll talk about magical thinking in a minute. Similar to that one is we choose friends. This is number four way we self-sabotage. We choose friends that are more screwed up than we are. So I, I'm, I'm just like putting out there. I was certainly very screwed up and I've gradually gotten less screwed up. But I often had a more comfort with friends whose problems were even greater than mine, whose level of functioning was even lower than mine. And I've had a lot of trouble like recognizing like why. I saw that it was happening and gradually it changed, but I wasn't able to really see why. I wasn't really being that intentional about it. It was sort of a natural byproduct of getting healed in a lot of other areas of my CPTSD symptoms. But I think what it is, is there's a lot of shame. There's a lot of shame with growing up with abuse and neglect. There's a lot of stuff that sort of seeps into your identity of not being good enough. Um, and a discomfort that comes from hanging out with people who have their lives together, you know, who are basically nice people. There's something awkward, uncomfortable, embarrassing about it. And that's, that's what I'm going to say about it is I think it's shame. I think it's shame. And when the shame heals, you can have more comfort to hang out with people who are not only your equals in terms of, you know, how much they've got their lives going on, but even people who are aspirational for you, people who have really got their lives together and you can learn so much from them and uh, enjoy friendship with people of all kinds. Like that's the ideal, right? The shame has to go. All right. Number five form of self-sabotage is choosing jobs that don't really demand anything. And, you know, we all know why this is necessary. It's because when you have CPTSD, your focus and your energy are often going in peaks and troughs. You know, you do a whole bunch of good stuff and then you crash, a whole bunch of good stuff and you crash. And I have videos about this, but but basically we, we're, we're good, talented people and we get the urge just like anybody to like reach for something, put ourselves out there. But when we do that, that act of being out there on the edge of our comfort zone or right beyond it, is very triggering. There's a lot of triggers there and it can look very easy to do. And of course we want to do it, but if we don't have good tools being out there, like sticking our neck out there, getting a little criticism, having something not go that well, uh, you know, not actually having an initiative succeed, it can just crash you and you lose all confidence and all energy and all willingness. Have you had this? So I, I made a video about it happening to me a couple years ago and so many people with CPTSD said, I get that too. I get that too. So the coping mechanism that may have been good at first, but kind of needs to change now is taking jobs that are not demanding on you where you're never putting yourself out there. You're never risking criticism and you're never um, really learning anything because you're not risking anything. You're not associating with people who could teach you something. You're not putting yourself in that position where you could disappoint them. And I think there's this other energy that can come in there of like disdain, right? It's like, well, this is a stupid job and I just turn up and blah, blah. Well, if it's really stupid, the healed thing to do is to take another step, get to a job that's not stupid, that's meaningful that's challenging. Everybody has to do a journey on that. Like the first job you get in your life is seldom that job. Ah, sometimes, sometimes people are that lucky. It wasn't for me. I couldn't even get a job at McDonald's when I was a teenager. I tried. They wouldn't have me. <laughs> I still, I still bring that out like a badge of, you know, unfairness, right? <laughs> I wonder if they would hire me now. I don't know. 
sometimes I want to try just to see if I can. But I like my job now. It's pretty good. But so getting a job where you're not challenged at all is a way to keep hating your life and stay stuck and not grow. But at least it keeps certain triggers out. And that's what happens in so many ways when we, you know, keep our life small like that is we're avoiding triggers, yes, but we're avoiding growth. And when you avoid growth, it starts to get very depressing. So you don't want to do that. So the healed thing is to start doing jobs that are a little bit more of a stretch for you, you know, and have more to do with what you really want and where there's actual risk of failure. Like it's okay that many things that you'll try result in failure. That's okay and normal. And when you have tools, when you have healed a lot of the, your trauma reactions and you have tools for dealing with the feelings that come up, I'm always talking about this daily practice I do. That's where it goes. When I fail at stuff, when I put my foot in it, I'm right there. I do it every day, twice a day anyway, but I'm right there writing my fears and resentments and getting them out of my head onto paper and away so that I can carry on, so that I can still have inspiration and be motivated and try things or, you know, just take a rest and peace, but not be going, oh my gosh, why am I such an idiot? I can't tell you how many ways and times I've been an idiot. I've just, you know, I make mistakes all the time, but you got to be free to make mistakes or you'll never get anywhere, right? Getting anywhere involves mistakes and fear and failure and getting back up again. It's a good thing. Number six is also about jobs. And this one is about getting in and staying in jobs that are demeaning, abusive, and draining to your spirit. This is really common for people with CPTSD. It's the same energy that gets into an abusive relationship romantically with a partner, same thing with a job. There are always jobs where you will get treated that way, but how is it that with your CPTSD, you're just like, doo, 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 doo. you find them, right? You find that person. And basically, if you look at it objectively, what's happening is you're crap fitting. You're fitting yourself to crap. You have this thing inside that when somebody treats you badly, instead of going, whoa, this person is not cool to work with. I'm not taking this job or I'm not staying. And instead, you blame yourself. You just go feel bad about yourself. You might feel all resentful at them and complain about them, but you don't leave you don't leave. And the trouble is when you stay in an abusive or demeaning relationship or job, you might be thinking, I'm just going to stay a little longer until, you know, I'm a little more got my head together and then I make my move to something better. It doesn't work that way. Abusive and demeaning situations drain you. They take it out of you. You are less likely to make a leap up afterwards, the longer it goes on. So if you're in that kind of thing, you know, plan your exit. And I know, you know, with jobs, like it's not easy. You can't just like, oh, I'm just going to go be unemployed for a while. That's a very hard decision for most people because, well, you can't, right? You have people depending on you. You, you have to pay the bills, but this is where you can double down and get ready and get ready to make your move. Do not accept that. Don't crap fit around work. It's a huge part of your life. So important to you becoming fulfilled and you having a role in the world and feeling a part of things. So let that be good. All right. The seventh thing that people with CPTSD do that self-sabotages is um, having an adversarial relationship to work or the boss. Um, it ruins your chances of advance, advancement. It ruins any chance of fulfillment and it ruins your income. But you see this a lot. This is kind of part of you know, it's associated a lot with sort of a poverty mentality. I grew up very poor and there can be this very sort of anti-power, anti-money attitude 
that is not always about the money or the power that people who employ you have. It's a defense mechanism to try to cover up the pain and dread of like, I have fear that I'm never gonna make it in this world. I can't handle this thing. I'm watching other people like figure it out. It's as if they got a memo and I didn't get it. I don't understand what everybody's doing. And then there's this like turning against the whole thing, an adversarial relationship. And so you get people who are like, they hate the boss. They're always trying to find the, you know, the way out of responsibility or to just get under the line. And, uh, you know, what a, what a miserable existence to try to do as little as possible to not get fired. It's such an unhappy way to do it. Work, work can be a joy. Even if you, your work is not well paid, if you're working with decent enough people, you can bring joy to your work. If there are interactions with other people, like, you know, I'm just telling you, like, the, your work day, this is your life. This is a day of your life, and you want it to have happiness. You want it to have meaning. You want a chance to express yourself. If you can do that interaction at work with a little bit of connectedness to people, a little bit of supportiveness to other people, you're going to get meaning, meaning out of any job, whether it's, you know, taking people around the floors of Home Depot or sweeping a parking lot or taking care of little kids. Like, there's always an opportunity to bring meaning to it. And if you can't do that, if your job is so unhappy for you that you can't do that, I urge you to get a different job. This is your life, okay? All right, number eight, we avoid and we judge people who have their lives together, who make an effort. Like, you know, I went to a high school that was a bit rough and I was in some classes where if you raised your hand like too much, uh, you would be shunned and ridiculed by some of the other kids. And so there was this big deterrent. And I often knew the answer. I My natural inclination was to enjoy answering questions and doing homework. And I was like that. I like school. But I learned to let's like keep it under wraps. Just be cool. Pretend I didn't know. Be dumb. Paint my nails in class. You know, fit in. Just fit in. <laughs> and I'm really sorry I did that. I wish I had had the means or the parenting or whatever to get out of any classes like that. What a waste that is. And some of you went to schools like that too and, you know, didn't have a choice either. But we're here now. So we're going to start being different. We don't have to fit in with people who have that estrangement from good people, from people who have the answer, from people who try hard, from people who have ambition, right? And we don't have to blame them for our problems. There's an opportunity in connecting with those people. And I mentioned this before, there's shame there. A lot of times if you can heal your shame, you will be more comfortable with the people who, you know, have it together and are trying, trying to get somewhere in life. And those are good for you to associate with. You know, research shows that we, we're very sensitive to who we're around. And if they're kind of going places and having good values, we will match them. So try to hang out with the best people you can. Learn to be comfortable with people who are just a little bit more progressed than you, and you will go far. All right, number nine, we mistake the suffering that we've been through for who we are, all right? And sometimes we even regard our suffering as a virtue. I really discourage you from thinking this way. Your suffering is what happened to you. Who you are is who you are, and not to equate them and not to um, make yourself all about the trauma that happened or all about the wounds that you carry. I'm not saying be secret or hide it or be ashamed of it. Like there's a way to integrate it without putting it like front and center about who you are. So one of the things that I changed is I am, my, my, my mother was an alcoholic, also my father, and I have gotten so much benefit 
from being in 12-step programs where I identified as an adult child of an alcoholic. But there came a time when I just had to really uh, let that go as an identity. I'm not an adult child. I, I am Anna. And I am not defined by my mother's drinking. Who I am and what I'm about is no longer defined by what other people did or what happened to me. I'm defined by what I've got inside, both my, my difficulties and my strengths and what I do with those and all the, you know, adventures of my life, struggling, healing, doing something positive. That's who I am. I am not defined by what happened to me. When I do identify that way, it's self-sabotaging. It just, I don't know, when I, I, I just got to a point where I, and I'm not knocking it, like if that's where you are right now, that it's such a good way to understand, like, why am I the way I am? Having CPTSD, it's the same thing. I have it, but it's not what I am, okay? It's an injury that I have, but despite my injury, I am becoming more and more myself, more fully. I'm developing myself as a person. I'm increasing in my virtues and I'm diminishing my, my problems. That is who I am. And it's not defined by anybody else. My family relationships. I am a wife. I'm a mother. I am a friend. I'm an aunt. I'm a cousin. I have people close to me who really, really matter to me. And I play those roles, but but I am me. All the, the center of it is I am me and I am never defined by my trauma. And finally, the 10th tenth, the tenth way that, that people with CPTSD self-sabotage is using escape as a coping mechanism rather than working on themselves. We need an honest way to face problems. If you want to blame other people for the mistakes you're making in your life, for the ways that you're still stuck and struggling, you will always find friends. You will always find YouTube channels and internet spaces where people will absolutely help you blame other people, you know? That's right, men are pigs. Well, I remember that. I used to have friends like that when I used to struggle again and again in relationships with men. I had friends who would go, well, it's never your fault, Anna. It's always their fault because they're just bad. And luckily, I had the moment of truth to just say, but what's the common denominator? It's me, like something's going on. I'm choosing people like this, or I'm turning it into this. I had so much work to do to start to see how do I walk into this situation and how do I change it? And I'm just so grateful because the very first step of beginning to heal all of that, I had help, I had mentorship, I just like all these good things happened when I could admit that I was making mistakes. I stopped blaming men for the problem that I had with men. And I stopped blaming people with money for the problems I had with money and so on. My life opened up. I found that I have this tremendous power to make change in my life if I can focus on the problems where I'm having a problem. I'm having a problem. And I have often been in a situation where my circumstances and other people were damaging to me. And when I could do something about that, I did. But there's so many times when maybe there's something I could do, but I couldn't, I didn't know how. But I always knew how to look within and go, what can I change about myself and become stronger? Because when I can get stronger inside, I can come up with a new response to the problems outside. So things that used to overwhelm me and defeat me, all of a sudden like a solution comes. Some of it, it's quite interesting. I just used to feel like people would take advantage of me and that rarely happens anymore because there's a strength in me that communicates something. I don't know if it's a vibe or it's a, you know, it's an energy that I have. It's a way that I talk. It's, 
It's a way that I set boundaries even when I don't even know I'm setting boundaries. But people just don't do that to me anymore. They take me more seriously. They treat me with more respect than they used to. And it's like this kind of positive cycle where when when you treat yourself with more respect and have some boundaries, other people treat you that way and therefore you treat yourself that way and they do it and you do it and they do it. Next thing you know, you're operating at a higher level, not self-sabotaging. So that's what I wanted to list for you, these 10 ways that you might be self-sabotaging because this is where if you bring your focus you have the power to start making a very big difference in your life relatively quickly. And you might find that stuff that was previously beyond your control or a mystery to you why people treated you this way begin to change when you change the things you can. Thank you so much for listening. If you love my content, think about joining my membership program. You can find out more information about that and all my courses and coaching programs at crappychildhoodfairy.com. Remember, healing is possible. People with childhood PTSD can have a wonderful life. Sometimes we just need a few workarounds. I'll see you next time.